So this is a very special episode of the Friendship Circle because we're going to be talking about the GSNI Gold Award Girl Scout. And these are an amazing group of young women. So we have a few interviews here for you today and we'll get started with that in just a moment. For those of you listening who may not be familiar with the Gold Awards, let me just give you a little bit of background. The Girl Scout Gold Award is the mark of the truly remarkable proof that not only can she make a difference, but she already has. Seniors and ambassadors who earn the Gold Award tackle issues that are dear to them and that drive lasting change in their communities and beyond. Think of the Gold Award as a key that can open doors to scholarships, preferred admission tracks for college, and amazing career opportunities. So let's get started with our very first interview. First up, we have Vidika. Vidika is going to share with us her story of her Girl Scout Gold Award, and she's going to share some insights of her experience over the years with Girl Scout. My name is Vedika Shah, and I just graduated high school. I'm 18, but I completed my Gold Award pretty much through the span of my junior year. I am Indian, 100% Indian. I'm from two different parts of India. I'm Gujarati and Rajasthani. My religion, which I think has definitely played a big role in who I am, is Jainism, which is a very small ancient Indian ethnic religion. Our main beliefs are, like I said, empathy and open-mindedness, but also nonviolence. Yeah, I kind of took those aspects of my identity and wanted to transform that into something that could be applied to everyone, regardless of their ethnicity. So I'm from Crystal Lake, Illinois. It's um, a pretty small suburb, like an hour outside of the city. I started in Girl Scouts when I was in, I think, second grade. And I did Girl Scouts throughout elementary and middle school with a troop. My mom was actually my troop leader throughout elementary school. So that was a lot of fun. And then middle school, I joined a different troop with some more girls. And then after that, I was just kind of a registered independent Girl Scout in high school. The value and benefit of remaining in Scouts beyond like middle school gets lost a little bit because people don't realize that there's a lot more that you can do through Girl Scouts than just like day camps. So my project is called Books or Book Bins for a Better World. And I kind of thought about this idea for a while and it kind of transformed as time went on. For me, the problem was easy to identify. I, you know, like I said, I live in a pretty small suburb. So as a minority living in a pretty homogeneous community, it was, I've always thought about like the importance of diversity and inclusion. As I've gotten older, I've kind of thought about it in the context of education and especially with younger people and what that can do and how that can spread positivity and kindness. So I reflected on how growing up, I kind of didn't see a lot of people who looked like me or had the same beliefs or experiences as me in the books I read or the movies or shows that I watched. And when I did see those things, they were very stereotypical. And I I was also always taught in my home and through my religion, Jainism, to kind of focus on having an open mind and this idea of having a multiplicity of viewpoints. And so I kind of wanted to take this project as an opportunity to put action behind my beliefs and this problem that I was seeing in my community, compounded by the fact that when I was trying to do my gold award, and even now still, I kept seeing in the news that there were these 
nationwide book bannings in schools. And so I saw that and I thought, if there's something I can do, at least in my community, to ensure that we are promoting diversity, not getting rid of it, that's kind of what I wanted to do. That was the problem that I saw and I felt very strongly about it. So then I started on trying to come up with a solution to that lack of diversity in the classroom. Eventually, what I was able to do was decide that the best way to combat that was to implement educational measures in the classroom. And that looked like curating age-appropriate book lists that promoted inclusivity, creating activities and discussion questions to go along with the book, creating curriculum and resources for teachers and educators to use in the classroom for both preschool and elementary age students. I think for me, it eventually just became a norm. And that's why it's sad that I wouldn't see people who looked like me or had my background in the things that I watched. Um, Obviously, growing up, I watched so many Disney movies, Disney Channel, like, like everyone else does. And I just kind of felt like there's something that I can't connect with as much because I'm not seeing people who look like me or whatever it might be. And I I don't know if it was completely conscious in the beginning, because when you're young, you kind of just accept that as the norm and you don't think twice about it. As you get older, you reflect back and you're like, hey, it would have been nice to see a Disney princess, someone in one of those Disney Channel sitcoms I could have looked up to as, as a role model. And I think that's kind of what I was trying to do with my project because I've realized that, you know, as time goes on, there are a lot of great children's books out there that are teaching kids about holidays around the world that different cultures celebrate and that are teaching people about different religions and all of these differences that can bring us together. I think that if we can just put that to the forefront, that's what's important. The requirement, I think it's still the same, is 80 hours. You know, tried my best to track those hours accordingly, but I I do think that with the amount of brainstorming and contemplating of like what house can really work, it probably was over 80 hours. Because I was thinking this through throughout the entire summer before my junior year. And then slowly, you know, going through the steps of like, is this even feasible? Where can I implement this project? What are the logistics with money and like timing? And so those things takes a lot of time just in different ways. For me, like I spent a lot of time researching first, like I was researching children's books, activities, a lot of different things at great length. And once I finally came up with the books that I felt were beneficial and age appropriate for my book bins, I compiled an Amazon wishlist. I put all of those books on one wish list. Because I saw that there was a community need for my project, I shared it on social media. And by social media, I mean my mom's Facebook. (laughs) That truly worked wonders. You know, we put it on there and kind of had a blurb about what my project was about, what I was trying to do. And literally within a few days, like two to three days, everything was paid for. It was crazy. I was not expecting that type of support that quickly, but It was coming from, you know, family, friends, family, but also like my current and old teachers who who are educators and were like, this is an incredible idea. We have been wanting to find a way to implement inclusivity in the classroom and you're making that happen. So we're going to do everything we can to help. In addition to the Amazon wish list, I also like gave two book bins to my 
former elementary school and I worked closely with I mean she was my librarian when I went to school there and she still works there and she felt such a connection to the project that she was actually able to use the school's library like funds to fund an additional book bin so again that wasn't necessarily an organization but I did have that one school kind of put in money too which was awesome what I actually did just so that all the information is in one place I created a website that has kind of what my project's about, information about me, but then also resource sheets. And there's two different sets. There's one for preschool age and one for elementary age, because there definitely is overlap in the books. Change it up a little bit after researching on like age and how different students learn. These resource sheets I made through Google Docs. I made a table type template. And after finding finalizing what books were going to be included. I like struggled in the beginning, narrow it down. Like, how am I going to pick the best books? How are we going to make this digestible for a teacher to use in a classroom? What I did was I created categories for the books. For example, I did holidays around the world. I did different types of families, gender equality, environmentalism. So I was able to chunk it in that way. So that's kind of how those resource sheets are set up under each chunk. I put in the books that would go under that category. And then for each book, um, I kind of researched and created discussion questions that teachers could use after they did a read aloud or an activity with the book. And then I had another column for activities that went along with every category. So that might look like a short video or a sing-along or some sort of art and craft that went along with it. So kind of giving a lot of variety so that teachers can use these materials in whatever way fits best in their classroom. I was very lucky that my project was so well received, you know, like all the teachers who would be implementing my project were very excited and curious. Obviously there was some initial hesitation just because teachers don't know if they're going to have the time to implement this type of stuff and where it's going to fit with everything else. Once I was able to talk to them and kind of teach them and show them what my thought process was, it was very well received. In terms of like the impact now, I know that they are still being used at all the locations that I was able to donate book bins to. I also created like these Google Forms so that I could see kind of, I, and I think that's the, the good thing about my project. I wasn't looking for it to be used in a specific way. I gave it to them in a bin with a binder with all of the curriculum sheets and then all the books. At the elementary school library, because the school helped fund a second set, those books are dispersed throughout the library. Those curriculum binders are in the library for teachers to check out. And then they can see kind of what books go with it and then they can find those in the library. Now at the preschool labs that are at two of the high schools in my district, those are obviously smaller facilities. So, you know, those books are either still in that one bin for the classroom to use or they're on a singular bookshelf. I think it's kind of interesting. It's being used differently at the different locations. Thank you so much for having me. I definitely say that Girl Scouts can provide a lot of avenues for opportunity. So if anyone can stick with it, it's worth it. I am going to be attending the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Yeah, and my plan is to double major in political science and global studies on a pre-law track. 
This story is with Asling McGrath. Asling chose to focus on the difficult subject of child marriage and the pervasiveness of which it exists throughout the United States. Asling focuses primarily on the state of Illinois. As you can imagine, this is a sensitive topic, but Asling faces it with courage, confidence, and character. Let's listen in as Asling begins by telling us a little bit about herself and what drew her to this particular project. I'm Ashley McGrath. I'm from Batavia, Illinois. My project is raising awareness for child marriages in Illinois. I graduated last year, so I just finished my first year of college. I go to Bucknell University in Lewisburg, Pennsylvania. I'm an accounting major. I did a summit camp in Washington, D.C., summer before my sophomore year of high school called Students Opposing Slavery. It's all about human trafficking, and there was a lot of really interesting speakers that came and talked to us. And I remember one day was UNICEF came to us, UNICEF USA. And I was expecting a conversation on child marriages in other countries and how it is a very, very big problem in many countries. She started off by talking about how it was a huge problem in the U.S. And I was so shocked by this. And I was like, I want to do something about this because we had to, at the end, by the other week, have a project that we were going to bring home with us. And so that day just struck out so much to me that I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And so I did a project called uh, Build a Chain to Break a Chain. It's all about raising awareness for child marriages and more so Illinois, but just child marriages in general in the U.S., and basically it was, I had people take a piece of construction paper as red and black construction paper for the colors of human trafficking and child marriage and um, write the first word that came to their mind when they heard the term child marriage. And that was basically what got me started on that topic. Child marriage is a complicated, layered social issue. As you can probably imagine, a very sensitive one as well. It involves underage children, it involves parents and community. So Ashling took a deep dive and looked into how this happens, what pulls it together and what pulls it apart. Here's more about that from Ashling. So right now, there's technically not really an age limit, but you can get married with um, parental consent, I think around 16. But I think the big thing for child marriage is you can't get a divorce until you're 18. Two years of being in a marriage that's potentially harmful. That's the primary issue of like, you know, you can get married that young. And the age for highest risk is 17. Even pushing it up one year, you're still really high risk. For many people, it's a way to evade laws and regulations of domestic abuse laws can be very complicated and therefore people can get away with more things by being married to a person that they're abusing. Another thing that's really interesting is that domestic abuse shelters, if a woman, it's usually a woman, if the person being abused were to go to a domestic abuse shelter and they're under the age of 18, their guardian will be notified. And the guardian, once they're married, is the person they're married to. Go to abuse shelter, the person they're married to is notified. It's a very big problem here in Illinois. Um, I think from what I know, a big hub is actually Rockford. Um, of course, we also have Chicago, two really prominent cities for this. I think something interesting about Chicago is that they do have a lot of laws more so than other cities. So like you won't get, for example, a lot of problems regarding child marriage or human trafficking is visas. Right. So Chicago has a lot of stuff of like, if you go to get help, they won't automatically check for that. It's like a whole thing. And I'm not familiar enough with that. But um, they still have very two big areas 
in the state for I think of course there is a religious aspect to it and that was primarily why it was challenging to do this project is because the advisors of the project of course are like we can't be too you have to be cautious of course of dealing with religion because it is people's religion you don't want to have a child out of wedlock so often if a girl is raped by someone they are forced to marry the rapist which i thought was interesting you know because like i don't want to of course attack that because it is it's people's belief and of course i share some of those and i don't want to go against that yeah and then i've seen cases where um or i guess heard of cases where someone who may identify as queer or gay are forced to marry someone because they don't like their parents force them to marry someone because they don't want them to be gay or queer or things like that. so there's issues in the lgbtq plus community with that of course too mm-hmm. um so just very touchy with that i guess yeah um i think it's safe to say it varies um but of course there is that risk of areas of lower income where Someone could think about of draw them in, of offering them gifts, offering them opportunities. And of course, they'll take that, right? So I think there is some aspect of that. It happens across all boards, but I think predominantly would be lower income brackets or lower income areas. Building awareness, of course, is the first step to, and education is the first step to making a difference and changing in legislation. So that's, I guess, my ultimate goal is to make sure, or to bring some sort of legislation to Illinois um, because there's not really right now. Illinois is, at least we keep track of marriages that take place, right? We're legally required to monitor ages and who gets married. Some places like Las Vegas, they don't keep track of that. So they don't have a number for there and it could be significantly higher, but we have no idea. I wanted something that girls could do individually or as a troop. Um, or kind of combination of both. Also, I was working with COVID and the end of the pandemic, so there still wasn't full ability to meet directly with people or for groups themselves to meet. So that was the primary goal of regardless, you can accomplish this. And so I found articles, videos, um, organizations, and kind of compiled them so that girls could work through it, find things that were interesting to them, but also still moving through a system that would educate them effectively. And also I wanted it to be able to grow with girls so it wouldn't be specifically designed for one age set and also just not for Girl Scouts too, of just groups in general. Because I think also something interesting is when girls start to get into human trafficking or child marriages is around the age when girls start to drop out of Girl Scouts, right? So middle school, high school is you're starting to really get into areas of potential risk. So I wanted that to be a group to target, but also to reach them before they left. I did reach out to Students Posing Slavery. Um, so I, it wouldn't be this year, I don't think, but I'm hoping for future years, I would be able to possibly present to them, um, which I think would be really interesting. Um, there's also groups such as, I'm not sure if Rahab's Daughters, you've heard of them, but they do a lot with human trafficking. And so I, my advisor is actually a part of that. So reaching out to them and offering ways to help them. I reach out to a lot of groups, but primarily of ways that they could learn, like girls or different organizations to learn about that organization. And then also um, some of them offered ideas for resources you could give to those that are victims of human trafficking or child marriage. A lot of them work with both sides of it, not just child marriage exclusively. So I thought that was a way that both sides could gain something of education, but also giving back of ways to give back resources. Yeah. So, I mean, like I can, I got the list pulled up. So some of the organizations I talked to were um, Ending Child Marriage, uh, Child USA, 
uh, Untrained at Last, Students Opposing Slavery was to the camp with UNICEF USA, Rahab's Daughters, Global Hope 365, and Five Cents. So those are all really great organizations. And most of them have resources on the website, such as like guides to talk about these things as well, and also signs to look for in peers and yourself, and basically just understanding what it could look like, because it may not look how you expect. And I think one thing that I thought was interesting of, and also tying to how Girl Scouts was so important of the age when people are dropping out, is it's a group of people that encourages you to be empowered by yourself. And it's all about confidence in yourself. And once girls start to lose that confidence, right, of like being a teenager, it's not fun. Losing mm-hmm. confidence is, is a very key part of being a teenager. And I think just having that in yourself and understanding of these people want you to not feel that way. So encouraging others to be themselves and feel confident in themselves is a great way, I think. Yeah, I think it was um, really empowering and really cool. I recently uh, worked with a troop locally from Batavia. Um, and it was fun just to be, because I haven't, I haven't been Girl Scouts for like a year now. And so going back and being like, this is what our troop used to be like. And I miss the chaos of it. But it was really great because it was, I wasn't just explaining what child marriage was. I was explaining what human trafficking was because this is a town where we may not see it as often, even just visibly of like, it may be there, but we don't see it, right? So it's a middle schoolers, what this is and how important it is to be aware about it. And I thought that was just a really empowering experience. Our third interview is with Sabrina Arshad. Sabrina graduated this year, 2023, and we start out this interview with Sabrina talking about her future ahead, and also she explains some of the details of her project. Sabrina is one of our Gold Award Girl Scouts this year. I am 18. I'm planning on going to UIC in the fall and studying computer engineering. And I'm in their GPPA program, which is like a direct graduate admissions program. I had a lot of college credit through high school, AP credit. And I also did classes at like my community college through high school. So I could graduate, do my undergrad in like two years and then get my master's in another two. So I thought that was like the best fit for me. Girls stem from STEM, and then the last part being like the STEM acronym, because mine was focused on getting younger ladies involved in STEM, not just not putting them in it right away and like forcing them into it, but just getting them involved in it so that they can maybe find something they're interested in. And not just, you know, like obviously I'm doing engineering, not just the engineering bit. Like, and not just the science bit, you know, the math bit too, and the chemistry and all those other things that are enclosed in STEM. So I thought it was girl STEM from STEM was very cute. Since um, mine was focused in my school district. And obviously, since that's where I've grown up in, I have experienced amount of exposure we get to STEM as kids and as a girl especially. I did do STEM throughout middle school, STEM classes, and then I continued that throughout high school. And the difference was that in middle school, it was required for all kids to do like a little STEM lab. It's kind of like an elective. But as you go to high school, it's not required. And I found that it was mostly marketed to the boys and not necessarily the girls and even in middle school you know I felt like the class was definitely more tailored to the boys the teachers you know definitely like it felt that way you know that it wasn't we weren't really girls weren't really at an advantage to be helped 
you know, to keep going. And, um, and even when I went to high school and I was in these STEM classes, I took PLTW classes, all AP sciences, and most of my like engineering classes, I was one of two or three girls in that class. It just, it felt as though the real problem was that at a younger age, more girls weren't introduced to STEM and like the broadness of it and how much it could benefit them in the future. Taking these classes or learning more about it can benefit them in the future. That was definitely why I wanted to focus on that. My dad is an engineer and I feel like I had that advantage. I was encouraged as a young a young girl to explore these types of things, look at things differently in this way. And I wasn't discouraged when I didn't see myself getting the same support in school. But I think that it's really important. And then as I went to high school, um, the PLTW classes I took. So PLTW stands for Project Lead the Way. And it's like an engineering curriculum that you can take. There's multiple levels to it, multiple classes. Um, different tracks you can take. My freshman year teacher, she was female and it was really nice being having that support, especially like as a freshman, I felt like that was really important. Um, I love that she teaches the intro class because for the girls that are taking it, she definitely like encourages them to keep going and shows them like a different side of engineering and STEM and how it can be applied to their lives, how it can be more practical for them. So yeah, I definitely like appreciated having that guidance. And she was even, I didn't have her like my sophomore, junior, senior year. There's only two PLCW teachers. I had the other one. He was, he was a male, but she became a trusted adult that I could really count on. She was the sponsor for my gold award. So it was, she, and she definitely threw other things to you, not just STEM, my college process, like so many things that um, she was able to help me on. And I feel like having that that guidance, very helpful. I was only like one of three or four girls. My project, I wanted to create a kind of outreach or an interactive outreach event for middle school girls, for them to be introduced to STEM, different types of STEM, you know, like not just what we see in that little tiny class that they take in middle school, how applicable it is to their real life and the avenues that they can take as they grow older and go to high school to broaden their interests if they do find something interesting in STEMs. That kind of was then broken down into two main things. So the one main thing was getting them you know, involved and introduced. And that was, we decided to do something called a dream day. So there's this organization that they help. So basically it's kind of, it comes down to networking. That's really learned. They're connected with a bunch of women in multiple different STEM fields that work for big companies all over. Like I said, like chemistry, it was chemistry, physics, like so many different avenues of STEM. And they have them come to these schools and present on what they do. First of all, like just the basics, like what the actual science and then they have them talk about their journeys that led them up to their jobs and how being a woman has impacted their career, their outlook on the STEM community and just like their work in general. And so we did that. So that was one kind of little thing. A lot of organizing went into that, you know, just generally organizing an event like that is really difficult because over, I think, 200 girls came from my uh from our district's middle school. So 
Um, it was a lot of like a lot of managing, a lot of coordinating, you know, getting timings right, um, having to deal with little special cases. So, but that was one little section of it. And then the other section of it was a, it was sort of like a, like a club and class mm -hmm. fair. So I had a lot of my friends, a lot of clubs I'm in, classes I'm in. I had people from there, women from there, come down to the middle school that same day and set up little booths about each club or each class. So there was like clubs that are like future healthcare professionals. Obviously my classes of PLTW classes, AP comp sci classes came, math team came. So a bunch of different um, clubs had little booths set up. So as the girls, you know, were in break from watching these presentations about companies, they can then see how when they go to high school next year, they can maybe further their interests and start on this journey to get them to those places. Uh, the people that came to do the presentations were from companies like United Airlines, we had CVS, we had SC Johnson. So, you know, like Method Soap. Now, I guess like that is like very aesthetic looking. So a lot of girls were really into that and they came, they did presentations, they told us the chemistry behind how they make the soaps and they gave the girls each a, a little method. Uh, that was like one uh, there was a chocolate company that came, um, a construction company that came. So there was a lot of different, that was my main goal. I didn't want to just focus on one type of STEM. It was a, a very broad area of, you know, everything that encompassed STEM. And it was companies like that they actually, oh, Gatorade came, really popular one. So yeah, and they like gave the girls little like they gave the girls Gatorade. They had them try different like variants of the Gatorade, powdered Gatorade and, you know, normal Gatorade. The thing I liked about it was that it was interactive. The girls were really able to enjoy it. Take away that, wow, like it's every, STEM is everywhere in my life. And like, it's definitely something I can be interested in because it's so broad. We actually had like a measurable influx of like new incoming freshmen that were girls that wanted to, you know, sign up for these classes and go attend these clubs, which I thought was really amazing. And I don't know that definitely there's a lot of other um, variables that could be accounted to. But I like to think that maybe this was a little part of it. We have a club at the high school that was also present at the fair called Girl Code. And they're kind of kind of like the name suggests they're a coding club and it's all about empowering women in you know computer science and computer engineering and they uh, my friends on the board and my underclassmen friends I had made a portfolio of everything I did to prepare for this event so all the contacts I made all the people that had roles and you know helping the event you know become possible and all instructions for how to organize things or do this and do that and even like down to the flyers we had for the for the event, the format of the flyers. And I had compiled that all in a little folder, like a binder, and I had given it to them and they're going to try and make it an annual event. So obviously it's a lot of, a lot of things go into it. They, they're going to have to fundraise again. Mm -hmm. So, you know, um, a lot of work definitely goes into it, but um, they're going to try to make it an annual event. Thank you for listening to this special episode of the Friendship Circle, showcasing a few of our Gold Award Girl Scouts, each one of them so impressive in their own right. Earning your Gold Award is not an easy achievement, but it's one that these girls 
take very seriously. They find the enriching part of this task and they come away from it feeling empowered and confident. They learn how to research, they learn how to engage with the public, they learn how to see a complex project from start to finish. Those are immeasurable skills that they can take with them into adulthood in whatever career they decide to pursue. So this is what Girl Scouts offers at the Gold Award level. I hope you could hear in their voices dedication that they've had to Girl Scouts, also all the enjoyment that they've had. These girls have stayed with Girl Scouts from the very beginning and saw it through to the end and are better for it. We are so proud of our Gold Award Girl Scouts. We're so proud of all our Girl Scouts. They are well-rounded, wonderful individuals. If you haven't had a chance yet, Please listen to episode 14, where we talk to another older Girl Scout, Tatum, who's traveling to Thailand. Girl Scouts offers destination tours specifically for our older Girl Scouts, and they go places around the world. And not only do they learn how to travel, managing airports and luggage and safety features, but they learn how to experience new cultures and immerse themselves not only in the tourist part of traveling, but in the culture and language and people. So they do service projects while they're there, as well as meet other Girl Scouts from around the world who are also on that trip. So it's an amazing experience to offer your child, one that will give her the courage, confidence, and character that will help lead her into adulthood. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to listen next time. All the best. This is Jill signing out.